mine's like super organized into bullet points. <laughs> I just sort of write down a stream of consciousness. Oh, yeah, no. I have like point by point. <laughs> that really explains the differences between our presentation styles, Danielle. <laughs> yeah, I know it does. <laughs> everybody and welcome to book retorts the winter bazaar episodes the finale of the winter bazaar episodes i'm yeah, danielle i'm sam and this is the podcast where one of us explores explains a weird piece of media to the other person really that has both no i mean you can't it. explain what you haven't explored right that's true. So I explored it, and I'm going to explain it to Sam today. And then I'm going to explore it vicariously through Danielle. It's a very complicated podcast. <laughs> uh, today, we're doing the, the 2001 rom-com, Serendipity. Uh-oh. <laughs> good for you sam great serendipity sounds like we were fated to do this episode danielle oh but i'm all right i think everyone's turned <laughs> off their players right now so i guess i've driven all our business away so thank you for coming we'll see you all next week <laughs> there's a lot of discussion about fate in this movie so you can have your say oh great can't wait for that yeah so this is a 2001 classic it's actually fairly classic well known or okay. yeah it's a popular popular rom-com it stars john cusack and kate beckinsale Ooh, the cusack yeah. and the sale <laughs> so they're our, our main couple in this movie not to spoil it for you oh well what's the point daniel you've already <laughs> given away the entire movie yeah it actually kind of Kind of. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a summary. You can we could start there. Great. I'd love to have any idea what this movie is about. <laughs> about serendipity, Sam. We already established that. That is literally the whole movie. Yeah, alright, but that's any movie, kind of. Yes. Well, this one really goes into its theme. Okay. Where's that all summary? Right. Let me let me get this over with. <laughs> So the summary is from Miramax. I'm only going to give you half of the summary because I feel like it explains it super well without having to do the second half of the summary. So what's the second half doing? Is it just there to be like redundant? Oh, uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> Good job, Miramax. I mean, try to explain it further. It didn't really need to, though. This is this really is the plot. Hang on a second. It's a very short summary for one that has two parts and cut out half of it. I know. Well, it's because I cut out half of it. All right. So in the course of one magical evening, Jonathan and Sarah meet unexpectedly, but part when she decides that fate must determine their future. I don't like Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to hate her in this movie. You don't yeah. like fate. <laughs> I have nothing against fate, but I think it's done to be like, oh, we met. Uh, I'm just going to like leave and just see what happens. Like maybe have a little agency or if you want something, put a little effort towards achieving it'll be like you know if i'm gonna get that job fate will let me get the job i'm not gonna send it an application because fate will decide well, that's like dumb see you're way ahead in this movie because it discusses such big topics as what is fate and how active are we in our own lives can i just say that's it we're done do i have to go through the whole movie <laughs> to, to express my opinion anymore nope <laughs> we're done this is it the end. Great. That's two endings in the beginning already, Danielle. <laughs> why even bother doing the movie? Or the whole... Po uh, like, why are we here, Danielle? What's our <laughs> I don't know. Why, why are we fated to be here every week 
doing this nonsense? Well, possibly according to this movie, we are supposed to be here. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's get this <laughs> over with. I gotta understand why I'm fated to fall in love with John Cusack. Okay. As if so I wasn't may- already. <laughs> like, it's easy to fall in love with John Cusack. I know. Especially in the 90s and early 2000s. I, I appreciate both John and Joan Cusack. I think they're both really interesting actors. Yeah, you know, I was kind of contemplating doing another movie and book. It's a book that turned into a movie that had Joan Cusack in it. Yeah, so she's it great. was apparently a Cusack weekend. <laughs> You're having a Cusack end. <laughs> Cusack end. <laughs> and they've been in movies together, right? Yes, I, th- I think so. But were they ever like romantically involved in a movie? Because that'd be weird. Together? Why would they be romantically together in a movie? I don't know. That'd be such a bad movie idea. But like, we're going to cast John Cusack as the lead and Joan Cusack as the other lead, and they're going to have like a rom-com together. Like, how weird would that be? It's a terrible idea. I know. Okay. I just don't know why that came into my head. I think there was a movie where that almost happened or something. I don't remember. Anyway, go. <laughs> just tell me what this movie's about. Don't listen to my I nonsense thought- ramblings about the Cusacks. Aren't they related? Like in real life? Yeah, they're they brother and sister. Brother and sister. <laughs> yeah, that's why it'd be a terrible idea. That's what I'm saying, Danielle. Like, I get that acting is you know playing different characters, so ostensibly it'd be fine if they were like in Twelfth Night and one was playing the male and one, you know lead and one was a female lead, and they were like romantically involved in the play or whatever. But it still seems like it'd be weird. I don't, I'm not sure that movies do that. Do what? I mean, can you think of any other movies where they filmed brothers and sisters as romantic partners? They're not, I mean, like, <laughs> not, they're not actually brother and sister in the movie. No, I understand what you're saying. I'm just wondering if, like, is there an example of a movie where real brothers and sisters or real siblings of any kind ended up being Acted as, like, romantic yeah. leads or something like that? I have no idea, Daniel. I've never done any research on the topic. That seems like an odd choice. I mean, they're both good actors, and they've been, they acted together. Sure, just, but... And they've both been in, like, romantic leads before, so... But they probably wouldn't choose to be romantic leads with each other in the same movie. Yeah, I know. That's why I mean, it's weird. <laughs> they have the option to say no. They okay, do, this Danielle. is tangented wildly. <laughs> I, before we even start, I've already derailed this conversation to a weird place, and <laughs> really I apologize... Uh, I'm here for your summary. <laughs> okay. So it's winter time because winter bizarre episodes. <laughs> I, I guess that counts. All right. So it's winter and the camera zooms in on a Bloomingdale's in New York City. And a store the clerk Bloomingdale's. is- The Bloomingdale's. The Bloomingdale's Thank York you. City. You're welcome. <laughs> a store clerk is folding clothes and in her pile of clothes, she finds a pair of black cashmere gloves and she hands them off to another clerk who takes them through this very busy store. It's like- super packed. She's going down the stairs, escalators and everything, trying to get downstairs. And you learn that it's five days before Christmas. Oh, no. Now you know. So she hangs up the gloves into the glove rack and immediately two people grab each of the gloves, like each one of the gloves, and go to pull them apart because they're walking off and they, they realize they're stuck together and they turn to look at each other and... It's John Cusack and British Kate Beckinsale. I was going to say, here's the meet cute four <laughs> seconds into the film. Yeah, it's very, it's very meet cute. Uh, they ask a clerk if there are any other gloves in stock. She's like, everything that's in stock is on the floor. Of course. So they're going back and forth on who should take them. And they set them down as they start to discuss this. And Somebody another man comes them. up yep. and like takes them. Yeah. And so they spin this like yarn trying to talk him into giving up the gloves. And he doesn't believe their story, but he gives some points for effort and hands the gloves back to them. Why is everyone so intent on these gloves? I There's only one pair of black cashmere gloves 
left in the store, apparently. Uh, yeah, there's only one store in New York, because yeah, we all know there aren't <laughs> any other stores that might have gloves in the entire city. According to this movie, there's only one department store, one cafe, and one hotel. <laughs> It's not like New York City has much else to offer besides one of anything. Like you can't have more than one cafe in a city. That's just redundant. Yeah, they only go to the one. That's it. <laughs> Great. So John Cusack gives oh, the gloves sorry, to question. her. Yes. Is this actually filmed in New York or is this like Toronto? Oh, I don't I don't know. They do a lot of exterior shots of buildings in New York, but that does not mean that they actually Right. That could be stock footage. Hair. They actually have them outside the building, so either that's pretty decent CGI or they filmed at least partially in New York. Or those buildings are not actually New York. <laughs> I mean, yeah, maybe. They might have done. I don't know what Bloomingdale's looks like, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> so, Google it. Okay. I don't need homework, Danielle, but thanks. <laughs> John Cusack gives the gloves to her, basically saying, oh, you deserve this. You came up with most of the story. So here you go. And they end up at a cafe for coffee. And in their point of their conversation, John Cusack says that he still has to get something for his girlfriend. And he confirms with Kate Beckinsale that she also has a boyfriend. So they're kind of being flirty, but they're not doing anything yet. Mm, I mean, this is still like... <laughs> Oh, it's very questionable, Sam. <laughs> yeah. This is what I don't like about these kind of rom-coms is like the partners never get any consideration. Like the partners of the leads are always like disposable. Yes. These are not bad people. They're, they're good people generally. Like sometimes they're they're painted as bad people or whatever. But oftentimes they're just like some obstacle they have to overcome to attain their true love. And you're like, these are human beings movie. Maybe they Absolutely. deserve happiness too. Maybe they should just be discarded. Maybe our leads are kind of awful for taking these long-term relationships and just being like, you know what? I met someone at Bloomingdale, so bye. Yeah, I would argue that this movie does a little bit of this. The partners are definitely decent human beings. They do kind of go through that concept of if they should stay with their partners because they're good people and et cetera, et cetera. I'm not giving anything away. This is like... No, but they, this is They try to be a little like... A little nicer than a lot of rom-coms are with the partners. I know. It just feels like... All right, rom-coms are not good healthy examples of relationships no. in general. I'm with you on this one. And, but like this feels worse than most of like the unhealthy things that like the weird creepy like stalking stuff they do where they're like, you know, like again, John Cusack playing a boom box outside the window in the rain. And, like <laughs> mm, that's not how you win someone back who's told you to leave them alone or whatever. Agreed. But this is fate, Sam. I'm getting way ahead of this. I'm sorry. Again, we're like four seconds in this film. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but I have feelings about rom coms. Oh, I agree. And I I don't like I don't enjoy tropes where people already have partners and then they're emotionally cheating on their partners. However, yeah, this one's kind of trying. Sort All right, of. Well, point sort of point for point for effort. Yeah. And so they're enjoying coffee at this coffee shop and he asks her how she found this coffee shop. It has this really super fancy coffee. And she explains that she came in first because of the name. Any idea what the name of the coffee shop is, Sam? If it's serendipity, I'm leaving. <laughs> it's serendipity. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> She explains it's one of her favorite words. It's a fortunate accident for those who are not aware of what serendipity means. she explain that means. to the audience she, in the movie? She does. Uh -huh. <laughs> Except she explains she doesn't believe in accidents. She thinks fate is behind everything. So she loves the concept of serendipity but thinks it's BS. Mm, you give or take. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't want to do this again right away, Danielle, but... but serendipity being a force that's like the definition of fate isn't it does she assume like there's some kind of grand design behind everything is that what she's trying to get at that like so, everything yeah, is pre-planned she's a terminist <laughs> 
What's the fun about this movie is it tries so hard to have this discussion about fate, but it never actually answers any of these questions. Obviously, how could you? And it never really makes it clear where these characters stand on these issues either. <laughs> so she's like, I love the concept of like happy accidents and, and things that are happening that are fortunate and then just sort of happen by chance. But also everything is predetermined to clockwork universe and I don't have any agency or free will. Kind of. So it, it really hammers this point home, which you're going to see in the next like few minutes of this movie. Can't wait. Yeah. So John Cusack is like, well, because he doesn't quite believe this, obviously. He's like the rational rational relationship. (laughs) So he asks if everything is predestined, if they don't have any choice at all. And Uh this is her quote. She says, no, I think we make our own decisions. I just think that fate sends us little signs that determine whether we're happy or not. What? What does it mean, Sam? What does it mean? (laughs) That's not fate. That's like like a cosmic litmus test for happiness. the line like three times i was like what does that mean (laughs) so she is saying that like we have agency we make choices and then fate just tells us whether or not that choice was stupid or not after the fact she's saying and what like that's not (laughs) what that's not fate fate? fate? (laughs) no (laughs) i hate this movie already why (laughs) i knew when i was watching this i was like sam's gonna hate this I love John Cusack, so maybe this will pull out, but I'm, this movie is already <laughs> got, like, freshman-level philosophy in it that is so <laughs> Oh, man. So it's so freshman-level philosophy. <laughs> and John Cusack is very charming because he's just naturally charming in his oh, roles. love him. Yeah, absolutely. So, and Kate Beckinsale actually is quite charming in this film as well. To be fair, two charming leads can pull off a terrible movie in the best way. Like, that's basically the entire filmography of the Meg Ryan, Tom <laughs> Hanks true. movies. Like, those movies were not exceptional but those two actors really made him work that i agree um so they're leaving the cafe serendipity and he tells her that he hopes she enjoys the gloves and she asks what he wanted for christmas i guess she was buying them for herself (laughs) what i thought they were for her partner uh no he was buying them for his partner partner. so she's selfish and doesn't understand about well she tries to give them back multiple times but john cusack is like very like no you take them like you deserve them okay i'll get something else and he says he wants golf clubs for Christmas. Go- uh, golf clubs? <laughs> That's, it's just a throwaway line, but it kind of comes back later. So I thought I'd throw it in there for you. I know it's going to come back. She's going to give him golf clubs. Like, oh, she remembers what I said. Not quite, but close. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Story's been wildly out of control. So, <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> he remarks that he had a great time. I uh, would love to get her phone number just in case. And she's like, in case of what? We yeah, both have what? partners. <laughs> And he's like, just in case of life, you know, in you never know what In case I break up with my girlfriend yeah, and want like a rebound. Like, what? Exactly. In case things go awry in the next couple of years, I want to be able to reach out to you. This is like a guy's like, you know, I'm dancing right now, but if that ever follows through, you're my second choice. <laughs> just like that. Exactly. <laughs> That's awful. And her being so driven by fate, she's like, well, if we're meant to meet again, then we will. It's just not the right time for us right now. Wait, what does she mean? Like, right time for them to do what? Like, be friends? To be together. Like, I guess it's not the right time for them to break up with their respective partners and be together, even though they had a wonderful time on this Why are they date. both planning, like, to eventually dump their current partners? I don't know. He's this not. Well, awful. technically they're not, because she says... No. <laughs> yeah, but she's like, it's not the right time, so there's going to be a right time then. Well, maybe. I mean, she says if there is supposed, if we're supposed to be together, then we'll meet again in the future when we're both single or whatever. But also, uh, why does it have to be romantic? 
Why can't I, two people just know. be friends? They're apparently because they're romantically attracted to each other, so therefore they can't be friends. I don't know. Okay, that's well, what the movie's positing. Okay, this is one of those movies. Like no, they men never mentioned friendship. Can't be Sam. Friends. <laughs> this is basically like if Harry met Sally's whole thesis. <laughs> but like the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> so he says he doesn't even know her name and how does she know they weren't meant to meet like right now? You know, if, if that's fate, like why would they have met at all? That's a good point, John Cusack. Way no, he, he, against he her. brings home the questions during this movie. <laughs> and she shies away from giving her name. He says his name is Jonathan and then tries to get hers again. Wait, so John Cusack is playing Jonathan. Got yeah. it. That's she, great. I writing. know. How <laughs> heard that i was like oh come on <laughs> i mean again we don't know if they have like the name in the script already before they hire john cusack i'm assuming that must be the case but also it's kind of funny whenever that happens <laughs> you know and it happens quite a lot but maybe it's just because it's some people have really common names yeah yeah fair so she wishes them happy holidays gets into a taxi and leaves she does not give him her name or any information well we know that new york city is a very small town so it's yeah. very likely they'll run into each other again Oh, wait for it. So, <laughs> oh, did you read this movie? You totally know what's going to happen. Danielle, please. I know it's fate. Danielle is fated to know that. Everything in this movie is fated to happen. Right. So he's clearly disappointed and he starts to head home. And as he's about to get onto the subway, he realizes he left his scarf behind. And so he heads back to the cafe. Oh, no. Yeah. As he reaches the table, which was upstairs in the cafe where he left the scarf, he finds Kate Beckinsale picking up her forgotten bag from Bloomingdale's the, with the gloves in it. Uh. Oh, yeah. So he tells her he wants to go do something else. Like, let's hang out some more. And so she agrees and they go ice skating. Right then and there? Right then. They go. It's evening time and they go out. So John Cusick like... Ah, this girl I just met, I guess I have to go home to my terrible, terrible girlfriend, who's probably actually very nice, but I'm being all like horny teenager and lusting after (laughs) the person I just barely met. She was about to go home to her partner too, I presume. Yeah, they kind of get into that. And then they just like abandon that plan to stay out for hours ice skating and just leave their partners in the lurch. Well, I have no idea what's going on with his partner and she says because he asks about her partner and she says that he's out doing holiday shopping and stuff and they weren't they didn't have any plans to meet up tonight so she has an out i guess i mean still (laughs) you're going ice skating with a random dude without even like maybe they're trying to be friends sam they're not trying to be friends (laughs) we've already established that john cusack or i'm sorry jonathan cusack in this film Jonathan Corsack? I don't know. I'm trying to give him like a fake name. Anyway, he clearly has aspirations beyond friendship. Yeah, I agree. So does she, really. Yeah, and they talked about that. And they talked about how like they're, you know, already relationships, but if we weren't, we'd be like, no, this is this is this is clearly two irresponsible people who have very little regard for the feelings of their partners. Yeah. If you're gonna harp on this, it's gonna be a long movie. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. I just wanna get out there and the start. I'm going to put it out there. That's my uh, stance on this. You don't have to like check in with your partner about everything you do, obviously, but you at least have some consideration and I'm done. Yes, I agree. I'm I'm on your side for this one. I'm done. I'm done for now. <laughs> no <laughs> problem like in this case. It might be really terrible now. in the future. <laughs> she still won't tell him her name. What? I don't know. You're I don't know. Ice oh. <laughs> so they, they go skating. They skate till the rink's basically empty. Um, they're asking questions That's to each other. a long other. time. Yeah, for a long time. She asks his favorite movie and he says it's Cool Hand Luke. I mean, decent film. Can't argue with that. And she promptly trips and she gets all like scratched up on her arm. Oh, uh, this is the classic clumsy Taking protagonist care. to keep them grounded. <laughs> 
<laughs> he, she's only clumsy this one time. It's just okay. so he can like fix her. <laughs> so uh, he somehow uh, magically, <laughs> magically band-aids appear out of literally nowhere and he's putting the band-aids on her arm and he notices that there are freckles on her arm and they're in the shape of Cassiopeia. And yeah, sure. to prove it, it, he gets a pen also out of nowhere. He's like, hang on a second. He walks off screen and like two seconds later comes back with a pen. All <laughs> like, ice skating rinks have pens and band-aids, Danielle. Have you ever been to one? Uh, Yes. <laughs> they probably do have band-aids if they have a little kiosk, but I, I don't. Does the one, does the ice skating rink in the park have a kiosk with band-aids, Sam? Which park? Uh, cent- Probably Central Park. I don't Is know, there- <laughs> Danielle. I've never gone ice skating there. <laughs> Where do you think I am? <laughs> Fancy. Anyway, gets a, gets a pen out of nowhere, and then he draws the constellation on her freckles. And tell her the story of Cassiopeia, about how she makes one mistake, she pays for all eternity, she's stuck up in the stars, whatever. I don't know the story of Cassiopeia, even after listening to John Cusack tell it. And it seems to be a metaphor, but I'm not entirely sure of what. Her one mistake is not just leaving and deciding to go ice skating with this guy instead. <laughs> I assume the mistake is not giving her name and just being with this guy from the get-go. Uh, I guess we had two different definitions of what <laughs> should have been done, Danielle. You want them yeah. to end together. I want them to go home and like forget about this nonsense. Well, you kind of win. Yay! So <laughs> we'll get right. there. So she decides to give him her number for the future, for life, just in Gives case. Gives him her number, but still not at her name. Oh, uh, yeah. Still no name. And as maybe she what? wrote the name on the piece of paper. I don't know. And as she's about to hand it off to him, a it truck drives away. by. Yeah, yeah. And the garbage like whirls around them. There's garbage bags on the side of the road. And it's like a paper storm of lots of little sheets of paper. Because sure, why not? All right. Yeah. And Jonathan is like, this is not a sign. It's not a sign. Write it down again. I need your phone number. And she's convinced. She's like, nope, I'm not. We're not supposed to be together. I'm not supposed to give you my my phone number. And Jonathan's trying to convince her otherwise, which is very rational. Like, if I don't have your information, how in the world am I ever supposed to get a hold of you again? Do you think fate's just going to deliver me to your doorstep? And she's like, yes, because I am that kind of person. Yeah. she She's like, oh, my gosh, that's a great idea. And he's <laughs> super confused. <laughs> and she pulls out a $5 bill and tells him to write his number down and yeah okay so he writes his number down and then she runs across the road with his five dollar bill and buys some certs from a little kiosk and gets change exchanging the five dollar bill and he's like what are you doing if i see a five dollar bill again i'll know to call you yes exactly that if i get the dollar five dollar bill back i will call you and then you will totally believe in fate that's what she tells him she's the worst and frankly, John <laughs> Cusack should be grateful that she is trying to do everything she can to, <laughs> to warn him away from her. Yeah, maybe she's just like trying to low-key ghost him, but he's not getting the point. <laughs> this is like, she's like a, one of those poison dart frogs or whatever <laughs> that like, you know, is like, hey, I'm really toxic. You should probably stay away from me. That's exactly what she's doing. She's poison dart frogging him. <laughs> I, I just say, like, he's kind of creepy and should also be kind of, like, kept away from her because he's clearly trying so hard to lock her into something that she just <laughs> doesn't want to do. Well, she just doesn't feel like it's the right time in the universe, Sam. Oh, gosh. She's clearly interested. He doesn't take no for an answer. She doesn't <laughs> have, like, any concept of agency. They, <laughs> They're meant for each other. <laughs> okay. 
great. I'm just I'm I'm done with these two people already. <laughs> He's super exasperated with her and uh, basically says like it's not fair that you get to have something out in the universe to come back to you, but I don't get anything that might come back to me. I guess he's trying to play the game now. And so right. she digs, she digs through her purse and there's a book in there and it's Love in the Time of Cholera. And she says So that, romantic. Yeah, I know. So she says tomorrow she's going to write her name down in it, her full name and her phone number. She's going to sell it to a used bookstore. And if he finds it, then he'll have her info and it'll be faded. Shouldn't he be the one to like sell it so see if it comes back to him? He would never not look at the- I know, but the point no. is like she's the one who's putting these both these I things out there. I don't think there's rules on fate. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Danielle. I didn't realize <laughs> that you were the expert on the rules of fate in this nonsense movie. Saying, this universe, apparently this is not how it works. Okay, great. So he thinks she's insane, which, fair. Yeah. No offense to anybody who believes in fate, but... I mean, there's she... one thing to have, like, some sense of fate. It's another thing to be like, oh, if I should cheat on my boyfriend or not, it's based on whether or not I find a dollar bill again. Like, that's just looking for an excuse to let something else take the burden of making choices away from you. Yes, quite possibly. So they're, like, standing in front of the Waldorf uh, Hotel, and as they're walking by, and so she runs in there with him. She, like, grabs his arm, runs him in there, and goes to an elevator bank. And they each pick an elevator, and she says if they pick the same floor to get off on, then they're meant to be together right now. Why are they doing this again when she just said this whole nonsense about the dollar bill and the $5 bill and the the book? She's trying to prove the point that they're not supposed to be together right now. She's like, if fate meant for us to be together right this minute, then we will both get off the elevator on the same floor. She's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) I don't disagree. It's like the most frustrating experience. I feel his pain. I kind of don't because, again, he's trying to basically cheat on his partner. So he deserves this. In the future, just in case, Sam. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So as they're getting into the elevator, she tosses him the Bloomingdale's bag and inside is just one of the gloves. And as the elevator door closes, she calls out that her name is Sarah. So gave a lot of weight there. (laughs) So she finally gives him her name after all this nonsense. It gives him one of the gloves because now nobody gets to have them. (laughs) Yes. Terrible. Terrible. I know. This is like manic pixie dream girl it version. Is. Of, I totally uh, thought that when I was watching yeah, this movie. Yeah, but it's like the most awful version of one. Yeah, it's like a really, really strong version of it. So she immediately picks floor 23. Like, she didn't even hesitate. And after much deliberation, you see like John Cusack, he can't decide. He finally picks floor 23 as well. Of course, because yeah. movie. But as he's riding up, <laughs> the floor it stops, I think on floor 13, I could be wrong, and a man in a Christmas sweater and a kid in a devil costume stop the elevator to get in. Sure, and they're going up for some reason? Yeah, so the kid immediately gets in there and he hits all of the buttons. <laughs> and Jonathan gets really angry at him and the dad is like, hey, be nice, he's just a kid. And the kid hisses at him. It's the weirdest kid. Man, that, like, that that parent or guardian or whatever needs to really rein in their weird devil child. Yeah. I mean that literally devil child. I don't know. They're in a costume, I assume. Yeah, they're in this like, little devil costume and they're just like hissing and hissing at, the, at him every time he like tries to go anywhere near him or complains about the elevator so the elevator stopping basically on every floor and every time like jonathan pokes his head out to see if she's on the on that floor that's cheating but also the (laughs) obvious solution to this problem i know and then as it goes up you see the the kid and the the dad or the guardian come out with him so he's clearly like told them in the intervening floors that he's looking for this woman and they're like oh they're not here she's not here and they get back in the elevator why would you tell them i don't know but as the elevator goes up more and more people start (laughs) 
coming out of the elevator with him looking for her. Okay, that's a pretty good gag. That's a pretty good gag. It was pretty funny. And then by the time he gets to the 23rd floor, he's apparently alone. You don't really see the inside of the elevator. You just keep seeing people like come out with him. And so by the time he gets to the 23rd floor, she's just getting out of the 23rd floor, right? He's just leaving. So, she, yeah, so she has arrived. She's waiting in the lobby of the 23rd floor. He doesn't show up, so she gets into an elevator to go downstairs. And, of course, he arrives, as you mentioned, literally right as she's going back down. She doesn't see him. And then he runs back down to the lobby, and she's already leaving out Wait, the Wait, so door. he stops at the 23rd floor and runs down to the lobby. Why didn't he go all the way to the top? He might have. I don't know. But somehow they barely miss each other in the lobby. I, timing is questionable. I agree. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> and so the... The camera then pans across like some clocks that are spinning in the skies, which are going dark and light again, and then a sundial. So this really... is basically putting like a, a title on there that says, you know, six months later. Well, then it says fi- a few years later. So yeah, so it was why really do we need driving. The clocks? The... <laughs> I don't know. I love the okay. sundial too. The sundial goes for like quite a long time. You watch the sundial. I don't know if this movie is stupid or if it thinks the audience is stupid. <laughs> I don't know, but it's a few years later. <laughs> Okay. And this years. is the end. So they've been with their current partners for years. They're ready to throw that all away for some fling. Oh, it emotional... gets worse. Okay. <laughs> it gets so much worse. I, I promise I wouldn't harp on this much more, but come on. <laughs> You're going to harp on it more because it gets worse. Okay, great. <laughs> so Jeremy Piven is, is the actor playing Jonathan's best friend. And I do not remember his name in this film, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> what else is new? <laughs> I know. So Jeremy Piven is doing a best man speech at a wedding rehearsal dinner for Jonathan. He's getting married. Married. He's getting married, and the camera eventually Ugh. pans to his fiance. They like try to keep it a secret or whatever, and it's just another woman, and her name is Hallie. They've been together for a few years, assumedly, probably the same woman he was with before. I mean, at least if they're getting married, it came like, oh, I met her yesterday. Right. I mean, with this guy, maybe, because anyone he's doing with <laughs> Sarah. So they're holding their wedding at the Waldorf. So, of course. Oh, fate. Only one hotel, as we mentioned. The only one hotel in the whole city. Only one coffee shop. <laughs> only one department store. Again, New York. Not a big city, Danielle. It doesn't no, need a very lot. very small. One street down. <laughs> and... As Jonathan's walking home after the – they've separated. She's gone with her parents to the hotel, and he's walking down the road going back home. He stops at a street vendor selling used books and sees a copy of Love in the Time of Cholera, and he opens it and kind of pages through for Sarah's name, but it's empty. Oh, So he's still thinking about her, clearly, probably because his wedding's upcoming. And he's like, man, I really wish I had another option. <laughs> yes. That's kind of the whole movie. Oh, man, I wish I had another option. What a terrible person. Like, I'm getting married to this wonderful woman, but – Boy, do I wish I had a different option. So I think both of them are like what could have been as opposed to a different option. It's just like this unknown thing that they're trying to explore. That's kind of the, how they premise it, I think. Yeah, I don't I'm not it. saying I agree with it. I'm just saying yeah. that's, what it, that's what it amounts to. So they both love their partners. Like that's never in question in the movie. It's just uh. that they're, they're question like they're... They're questioning what would have happened with this this experience that they had many moons Their ago. Their love language is I know. cheating. I know. I do not disagree. <laughs> it's a very questionable rom-com. It is not my favorite rom-com, but this plot is insane. <laughs> so far, this plot has been crazy, and every character has made decisions that are baffling and moronic. So, Yes, agreed. I'm on board. <laughs> so it flashes to Sarah, and now she is a psychologist. <laughs> Oof. Oh, uh, boy. Like, hey, I'm depressed. Well, maybe you're fated to be depressed. Terrible. <laughs> terrible. No, no. 
okay, so she's had a turnaround. She's talking to a young man who, uh, metaphor, like, this is such a parallel. And okay. he's concerned that he may have ruined his one chance at love because he didn't get a girl's information at this party that he was at. How coincidental. I know. And she tells him that assuming something is fate isn't healthy because it takes away your agency and a chance to make <laughs> yourself happy. What could decide to grow the heck up? <laughs> I know. But she's kind of questionable. This doesn't last very long, even though supposedly this is her so, her actual belief now. She's just basically lying to her clients about what she no, believes. No, because in the thing, he's even like, are you sure about that, Sarah, or whatever? Like, do you really believe that? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I really do. Like, you can tell she's had a change of heart, but it just doesn't seem to last very long. <laughs> her convictions are, shall we say, non-existent in terms of actually being convictions. Yeah, and I 100% thought that this kid was going to come back towards the end of the movie and she's going to be like, go get your girl. But he never does because it seemed like that kind of movie. This is the movie where like every person who isn't the main character is just there to serve the main characters. Yes, exactly. Got it. It was 2001. It couldn't help itself. I mean, it could have. (laughs) So she arrives home later that night and she finds rose petals all spread over the floor of her house and candles. And there's a huge box. And she... Point of order? That's such a mess. Yes, I know. Can you imagine having to sweep all that up? It's like, oh, so romantic. Now let me spend 20 minutes cleaning up the mess you made. Yeah, and there's a lot, a lot of rose petals. So she opens the box and inside is another box. And inside that is another box. And inside of that is another box. This goes on for a while. Does it become a ring, Danielle? Is this a freaking wedding proposal? Yeah, inside there's a tiny little ring box. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. I saw that coming. (laughs) You could just write this, Sam. Yeah, pretty much. But surprisingly, the ring box is actually empty. (laughs) Okay, I didn't see that coming. You got me, movie. And yeah, I couldn't write this. I need to actually hang on two seconds. I want to look something up. Is I the ring box see. full of like a note that says, surprise, I'm dumping you? <laughs> yes, that's it. That was hang a on. good joke, Danielle. It's too bad you're away from your microphone and didn't yes, appreciate it. Yes, that's it. it. <laughs> <laughs> hang on. I just wanted to check something really quick because I thought of this earlier and I meant to look. So let me look. Before, I don't want to say it and then be wrong. Hang on. Be wrong, Danielle. It never stopped me. <laughs> Uh, it was. Okay. So she opens the ring box. It's empty. And a man appears with like flowing locks and hippie yeah. clothes. And he's like, you have to say yes to get the ring. And he holds it up. And she says yes. And he tries to put the ring on her, but it won't fit on her finger. It's fate, Danielle. <laughs> yeah. He's worried that she's going to take it as a sign. She's like, this, is, this isn't a sign. You're not going to take this as a sign, right? And she's like, no, no, no. We'll get it refitted. It's no big deal. I love it. Wow. He's been so traumatized by yeah. her nonsense that he's <laughs> walking on eggshells around her. Well, and it made me like, well, how recently did she have this turnaround if he is like, still, still like paranoid that, that every right? little hitch is going to be like some spiral into this isn't right. We got to break up. Yep. And he's the guy from My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the main Ooh. lead. The, ma- the male lead? I like yeah. him. Yeah. He's dreamy. And he he reminds me a little bit of, I don't, have you ever seen The Saint with Val Kilmer? No. Oh, oh my gosh. Okay. Put it on the list, Danielle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, he reminds me of a character that Val Kilmer plays in that. Ooh. I won't say that then. <laughs> we got to watch that. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited though. For everyone out there who's listening to this, this is how we basically make these episodes. This is how our life was before we started recording these and now we're just recording our nonsense. Oh, it's a fabulous movie. <laughs> so... He is ex- like glad that she said yes. He's excited about that. And then he immediately is like, I've got to call my manager to arrange the tour dates around the honeymoon. And so he walks off and she's like looking at the ring. And I was like, way to celebrate. 
Yeah, really. Like, here, clean up those rose petals I left for you. Bye. <laughs> so the next scene is at a golf range where you can practice your, your shot. Yeah, I know golf. It well, it's, like a, it's one of those multi-level ones where you can shoot out and then a little a, like... A driving golf. range. Yeah, basically. And Jonathan's a producer for ESPN and he's finishing up a scene that they're filming there. Okay. And he needs to run off for his wedding stuff. And he hears a British woman named Sarah, like they say her name, and he turns around, but it's not his Sarah. He is so hung up on her. Yeah, he is. And I think it's just maybe, I don't know how he's been for all of these years, but it's definitely worse right now because he's getting married. Okay. So then he goes to get a haircut for his wedding. That was his appointment. And his usual stylist is out. And the replacement, of course, is named Sarah. And he like panics and leaves. <laughs> what is with this dude? I don't know. This movie is, it's, it really likes to drive home point. <laughs> and then he's in the taxi and there's a man on a bike that's like waiting the traffic. It's like end to end bumper traffic. And there's a guy next to him seeing Holiday notes sarah smile like that full volume next to his taxi this movie is trying so hard <laughs> i know so he asks the driver to change his destination to the new york times office and that's apparently where jeremy piven works he's an obit writer and jonathan is like oh my god you have to help me like i i keep hearing her name i keep thinking about her like it's just it's overwhelming i don't know what to do about this like there's something going on with the universe and he basically says no matter how much he loves his fiance he needs some kind of resolution with sarah or he's never going to be happy with her and she's a wonderful person and he wants to be happy with hallie okay i mean it's not the worst advice right so apparently this is where you find out like he's like dude we don't have any information to go on jeremy piven he's like we don't have a last name we don't have a social like we don't know everything at the times we have to like have information to go so he on. wants to use his friend's connection to the new york times to stalk this girl he's had this conversation before with him you can tell and he's like you've already looked at every bookstore in new york which how how like how long would that take to look at every used bookstore in the entirety of New York City? Uh, Danielle, there's only one bookstore. We've established this. <laughs> yeah, apparently. But also, maybe he didn't get to it in time, and then someone else bought the book. It's like sure, like his friend is the kind of the voice of reason throughout this. Like you start to identify with the friend because you're like you can, you're a little nuts. Like you need no, to let it it's go. Absolutely stupid. And his friend is like, okay, you can't go back to every bookstore and look. And he's like, well, what if I missed it? What if, like you just said? And he proceeds to have a little montage where he's clearly going to a bunch of bookstores again, trying to find this book. And then he's having a conversation with his friend a little bit later at a cafe, not serendipity, but they don't mention what cafe it is. <laughs> Probably, I don't know, the three fates. <laughs> That's possible. So he just wonders if maybe he's just getting cold feet for his wedding or if he's really being driven by some kind of fate to, to find her. And that night, he's home with Hallie and the fire alarm goes off in the apartment because she was cooking dinner and forgot about it. So, Like you do. In the weirdest scene, she ignores the oven. Like you never see her go turn off anything or try to like fan the – there's like smoke, you know, all over the haze, all over the kitchen. And she just goes and takes a hammer and starts like beating the fire alarm. Yeah. <laughs> and she keeps hitting it and he's like, stop hitting it with a hammer. And then she's like, I'm going to go find the super. And then she just runs out of the room. And you're like, how is what? that going to resolve anything? Okay, maybe, maybe Haley, Hallie, whatever. Hallie, yeah. Hallie isn't all there. <laughs> I swear it's the weirdest scene. I'm like, who? What? Like, who no. fixes that problem that way? No, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, oh, there's a fire. Let me smash the thing that's telling me there's a fire. Yeah, and you just never see her go over to the stove and turn it off or whatever. I don't know what she was cooking. It was an oven or – like, you don't know. She just hits it with a hammer and then runs off to find the super. Also, I'm no smoke detector expert. 
I'm not a lot of things, but I'm definitely not that. <laughs> but they usually have a button that the makes button them you shut push. up. Yeah, or at the worst, like even if it's hardwired into the wall, it's like you can do stuff. You can take out batteries. You can like there's lots of options. There's a button. There's yeah. always a button. Yeah. I've turned off Minnie's smoke detector, I know. Yeah, for sure. When she's gone, he's there's like clothes everywhere because they're packing for their honeymoon. So they're just all over the apartment. And underneath a pile of clothes, he like lays on the bed. He finds the Bloomingdale's bag from many years ago with the glove Ugh. inside. And he's like, oh, that's weird. And he puts his hand inside the glove. And to his surprise, he finds an old receipt that has an account number on it. Okay. Uh, that's not how you find somebody. Oh, it is in this movie. <laughs> Yeesh, this is, I'd be, if I was her, I'd be like, this wasn't fate, this was stalking. <laughs> a little bit. So the super comes in um, and with Hallie and he kind of like, you know, hides the receipt. And that same night, Sarah, meanwhile, is at her fiance's band's concert, which is by far my favorite scene in the whole movie. All the band scenes are the best. So he apparently plays Middle Eastern music and he... He's rocking out on his shinai, which is like a reed instrument, and the crowd is like going wild for this music. <laughs> I mean, like, at least this guy has like a backup plan. Yeah, all his po- there's posters all over the wall that are like advertising him, and they're all in him in like fur robes and standing majestically on hills. <laughs> I like this guy. I mean, He's Sarah's so a fool to leave him. I love him. So apparently his band is like super famous. And after the show, the manager comes up to him and is like, you sold out in Stockholm in eight hours. We're adding more shows. And Sarah protests because she's like, hey, I already put in notice at work and I can't just like add more weeks. Like I can't not see my patients. They need stability. And he basically gets called off by somebody else. He's like, oh, we'll talk about it later. It's no big deal. And so she's clearly really annoyed with this conversation. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Fairly. And she needs a break. So she runs outside it starts to rain, and she stops under an awning, looks over, and there is a movie poster for Cool Hand Luke. Uh, I'm telling you, this this movie, man. <laughs> why, why is there a movie poster for Cool Hand Luke? It's like, hey, now showing the decades-old film, Cool Hand Luke. I'm sure it's an old movie theater like that plays old movies. Okay. So it's an old movie theater, not an old movie theater. Like an old movie, th- a theater that plays old movies. Yeah, an old movie theater. <laughs> an old not movie an old theater. movie theater. Yes. <laughs> So funny. This is what I have to put One up with. One of us has everybody. to be funny, Danielle. Come on. <laughs> so the next day she's at her friend's shop and she is like following her around the shop. She's like, isn't it weird that I saw that movie poster? And her friend's no. super exasperated. Yeah, her friend is all of us. Like, She's like, I thought you gave up all this new age stuff. What's wrong with you? Like, it's not a big deal. It's not trying to tell you that you shouldn't marry your boyfriend, you know? And meanwhile, Jonathan runs over to Bloomingdale's and he's trying to get the account number looked up. That is super not okay. Right, well, The Clerk is a cameo by Eugene Levy. Oh. I know. He's in quite a bit of this movie. And he says he'll help him out if he helps out with his sales, which he was behind on this month. <laughs> okay. Couple of things. No. Uh, also, can you actually look up years old account information data? Is that like possible? Apparently. I mean, they have computers, so it's 2001. They probably have a system where you can look up account number. Oh, so it's like a Bloomingdale's account, not like a credit card number? Um, it's, I don't know the answer to that because the next part of the scene is confusing. <laughs> Great. Let's go for it. Okay. So Eugene Levy manages to extort him for like $700. <laughs> 
<laughs> this guy is the if he just said yeah never mind i'll forget about her he would save himself 700 dollars. no because because it's funny to watch him get extorted by this guy and then as he like signs the receipt for the the really ugly suit that he buys he doesn't even buy 700 of like nice stuff that he's gonna wear again, why would he just buy something he wants i don't know it's really dumb comedy value and then eugene is like i looked up the account and it was dead and there's no information <laughs> And Jonathan gets really mad at him and, like, attacks him. And he's like, hey, 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 hold on. There are hard copies of credit card applications in a storage location in Queens, but you need an employee to get in, so be nice to me. (laughs) Wow. First off, Eugene Levy, definitely playing the game. Appreciate that. (laughs) Game recognizes game. Respect. (laughs) Also, it's no less than Jonathan deserves for being, like, a weird creep trying to get this credit card information or whatever it is. Because clearly it says credit card information, so it must be credit card. Yes. Which is super not okay to share. And then three, he's like, yeah, but all the hard copies are stored in a warehouse somewhere else. And I know this as a cashier. I, maybe he's some kind of manager of that department. I don't know. It's, it's unclear. Enough. Okay. And so they make it over to the storage. They go through a bunch of boxes, of course. And he so finds- you can just leave work to go on this little adventure. Well, it's like the timeline is funky. There's like other scenes <laughs> in between it, but I'm trying to like make it more no, linear. Okay. So Fair it's the, probably the evening and they go and he finds the application. Uh, he's with his friend. He took Jeremy Piven with him. And Jeremy and Eugene get into this big fight and, and they smudge the last name on the copy of the credit card application. Oh, it's dry? Like, no, it's um carbon copy. Oh. And so Eugene is like, it's not that big of a deal. Just go to the leasing office for her address on file and see who lived there then. <laughs> He's like the How smart one. How can you I get guess. this information out of these people? Like, you just walk into, like, yeah, give me all the names of all your previous, like, what? So it gets, it kind of gets into that. So he basically, like, bought Eugene Levy. And then it jumps now to another scene with Sarah. It cuts to a music video. <laughs> of sarah's boyfriend and he's taking down vikings with his musical prowess okay this is the best part of the movie so far i'm loving this is he just like are they just like falling over from like sound waves from his weird instrument basically like they keep clutching their ears and stuff and the the manager is trying to convince them that it's like oh your music's just so powerful and beautiful that they are falling to their knees and he's like it looks like they're in pain like there's a whole conversation about how he doesn't like the music video it's not like your music is so terrible that they're suffering he's like we should like why isn't there a banquet at the end of this there should be a banquet if they're celebrating in my honor of the amazing music that i'm making <laughs> that's a fair this guy yeah probably amazing. my favorite character in the movie so far that's a, like if you find that clip on youtube it's worth watching it's pretty funny <laughs> absolutely <laughs> And uh, Sarah comes in and asks if they can talk. So they, you know, pause everything. The manager's like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so she wants to take a weekend to herself to recharge. She's like, "I'm just feeling a little overwhelmed with everything. It's not because of the mini argument that we had the other day. I just suspicious. You know, yeah, I know. I just want to take a couple of days off." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, you can do that." And she, he asks where she's going. She's like, "You know, I think I'm gonna go to New York." So I guess she wasn't in New York, which is probably in context clues, but. I did not know that until then. <laughs> Wait, so she did all this stuff about leaving things in a $5 bill in New York. She's like, I'm going to move to Pennsylvania or whatever. Yeah, it's some other major city, but like Philadelphia or something. I don't know. Great. It's me. I think it's, I think I read somewhere online something about them being 3,000 miles apart. So she's probably West Coast, maybe LA area because so of she's her like, I'll boyfriend. take a weekend recharge by taking a giant trip across the country. Yes, basically. That must be so nice to have the kind of income and job that allows you to take off across the entire country on a whim. 
Yeah, I don't know if she's just making a lot of money as a, as a psychologist or if he just has a lot of money because he's a famous musician. Middle Eastern musician uh, with his Middle Eastern music. And I don't know. <laughs> but he has, she, has, she manages to buy not only herself a ticket, but she gifts one to her best friend, the one that was telling her she was crazy earlier. And is like, this is just an opportunity for us to hang out before the wedding. I'd love to have, like, it's your birthday weekend. Like, let's go to New York and party. Wow. Very generous. It is, but it's also kind of a lie. Because she's, like, hoping to find to the guy, right? Yeah. So as they arrive in New York, she finally tells her friend, like, this is actually about Jonathan. I kind of want to find him. Oh, uh, <laughs> these people are the worst human beings on the planet. I know. So her friend's kind of angry, but she ends up agreeing to stay. And meanwhile, Jonathan and Jeremy have managed to talk. They go to the leasing office and they get an intern that's there. And they basically, like, spin this whole story about how, like not giving them this information is like playing into the man's hands and they should he should give them the information that they need because like people like him have so little power blah 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 it's this whole that's a whole bunch of hogwash (laughs) but the intern buys it and he's like yeah i'm gonna stick it stick it to the man and he tells them the information that they need which turns out that the man who uh, was in the property at that time was named sebastian mignon cool so yeah. it wasn't Sarah. Well, no, but they don't know why it wasn't Sarah. So they're going to go. They're wondering if maybe it was like her boyfriend or something. So Jeremy Piven calls his New York Times connection to find out where this guy lives now. This and they is head all over not there. okay. It's totally not okay. Not even in 2001. <laughs> And as they're, Never. They're, <laughs> as they're walking there, a Dalmatian jumps up on Jonathan and he's like giving him some rubs and they walk down the road and down the road, Sarah and her friend are walking and they see a man in a golf tee costume, like a golf ball head with the tee. And he's handing out flyers for a driving range and the Dalmatian runs into him and knocks him down and they help him up and Sarah sees the flyers and then... It's assumed, at least I assumed, that she suddenly remembered that he wanted golf clubs for Christmas that one time she met him. And so she heads to the range. She's, like, convinced that he's there. So this Dalmatian was on the street with these two people who were looking for each other in New York. It's Had to be on the same street. (laughs) Yep. And she just misses him and decides to go to a driving range instead. Well, she doesn't know that he's down the road. But, yeah, she's like, maybe he's there because golf and fate. (laughs) All right. I'm not going to say this is impossible because I've run into people out in the city in New York who just were like randomly I haven't seen in years who were like, oh, you're from my hometown too? And I'm just out here randomly in the same place? Yeah, it happens. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but I'm still calling shenanigans. Well, these are two people who are bent on finding each other too. So, I mean, they're Yeah, but like in the first two minutes of them being back in the city, she's like, oh, there he is. Yep, basically. And why would she be anywhere near a leasing office? Like, that's not like a major- so the leasing office will get it's they're not at the leasing office like he's they're going to find Sebastian Mignon. So they're okay. just walking. And so it turns out, of course, that he is not at the driving range. Yeah, but, but he was there earlier. Right. But she's like convinced he's there. And it's he's not there, but his parents are there. Um, they're like His parents are there? Yeah, they're playing golf down below because he's a golfer. So like his parents are down below a level and they're they're golfing. And the film crew is there. They're still filming stuff for ESPN. And she doesn't know any of this, obviously. So of course not. nothing happens. But she's just around. It's like a funny scene in the movie because she's surrounded by all these people related to him. But she has no idea. So meanwhile, Sebastian. Mignon is apparently this artist and he informs them he's like yeah I remember that girl she was a roommate for a short amount of time but I don't remember her last name she was here for like two seconds and she was placed by a roommate service and they ask him which company it was and he's oh, like oh god he's like Go I don't remember yeah. but it was next to this coffee shop named serendipity 
All right, all right. Let's just, oh gosh, let's just keep, I know where this is going. Let's just get it over with, Danielle. Do you know where this is going? <laughs> I mean, it seems that they're going to go to the coffee shop or at least to the company that's near the coffee shop. Probably going to be out of it. This is like a freaking, you know, <laughs> Scooby Doo side quest kind of thing where you're like going from one thing to the other. Go, like, oh, this is Clover. This is here. This is Clover. It's like, this is like a scavenger hunt of nonsense. It is, sort of. In that something happens that you don't expect, sort of. Oh, you know what, Danielle? I will. I would welcome any surprise at this point. So they rush over to Serendipity, and actually at the coffee shop, of course, Sarah and Eve—that's her friend—are having coffee and birthday cake. And Sarah's apologizing for the wild goose chase, and she's like, "You know, this is crazy. I can't believe we came all the way here." And Eve is asking her if fate is real, then what's the point of living if everything is decided? Good question. Thank you, Eve. <laughs> the movie, you think that the friends are the ones that like bring up the big questions and they never have good answers for them. I think that this movie should have been about the friends finding out that their current friends are morons and then like saying, <laughs> let's just ditch these guys and go off by ourselves. Like, yes, wouldn't that be great? That would have been a great movie. Maybe that's what happens. Surprise! <laughs> and so, even though she orders the cake, blows out the candle, and then they're talking. She never eats the cake, which really upset me. <laughs> she just like leaves the cake on the table and they leave. They decide to go back to the That's hotel. Fair. You don't waste good cake. I was so mad. I was like, what? You were waiting all this time for birthday cake. She mentions it several times in the movie and then she just never eats the cake. That's unconscionable. I know. I was really mad about it. And it was free cake. Like they just were like, this is on the house. Happy birthday. That is so bad. I know. I was really disappointed in her. Should be. And Jonathan and Jeremy arrive, and they realize that the roommate service has turned into a bridal shop. And Fate. Jo- <laughs> Jonathan is convinced. He's like, that's a sign I should stay with Hallie. Like, it's a bridal shop. Of all things, it could be. And Jeremy is the rest of us. He's like, how are you supposed to interpret these signs? And what do they mean? And how is no sign a sign like if there's an absence of signs is that a sign why does none of this make any sense <laughs> also <laughs> like, <laughs> why are you waiting on signs to tell you when they should stay with your fiance who you're getting married to presumably in the very near future yeah and he's like he kind of brings all of this up like how the heck are you supposed to interpret any of this and how is it even real and why do you think it's real but also i kind of want to meet sarah because i'm a journalist and we've been chasing leads all day long and this is a frustrating experience for me <laughs> This is just like the worst way to make decisions. This is, again, just offloading any responsibility for your own actions to some nebulous concept of fate. This is like, that's not me cheating on my girlfriend. It's fate telling me to do something else. It's like, no, you're a bad person and you're ignoring your obligations to your partner. Let's clarify. It's, it's emotional cheating at this point. It is 100%. It's been that for years. It's like, it's not my fault I'm cheating on her emotionally. It's fate that's making me do it. Like, well, no. Originally, he wasn't on the fate train and now he is. And then she was on the fate train, but now she's not. Oh, yes, I know. I know. The movie's trying to make it all cutesy <laughs> like that, but no. So Jonathan decides against all odds, he's like, I'm going to get married. Like, this is ridiculous. I need to stop. Like, I love Hallie and I'm never going to find Sarah. And this was just like a one-off situation. Fate's not real. And so <laughs> you're going to hate this. Sarah oh, yeah. and Eve are staying at the Waldorf. Like you do. Yeah. Well, she went there because that's where that's where everything happened. So it kind of makes sense in context. And so as they're arriving back at the hotel, they run into Hallie and her family who are going down for the rehearsal dinner and or rehearsal of the wedding. Sorry not the dinner and eve knew her in college apparently oh great (laughs) 
And so Hallie's like, oh, my gosh, it's so nice to see you. You should come to my wedding rehearsal that we're just about to have. What? Um, I mean, again, never having been married, do you just invite randos to your wedding rehearsal? And the wedding rehearsal is like, yeah, it's just a casual party. Well, it's not a party. Like, it's literally just the rehearsal. Like, they're just going over the Yeah, but like, like what they're doing. want to come to that? Like, I don't does know. Does anybody but... want to go hang out? Or, like, oh, yeah, I love wedding rehearsals. There's so much fun and not just an obligation. No. And like, it's one thing. Usually they'll have like a dinner and the wedding rehearsal like combined. But she's these are separate events in this movie. So it's literally just the rehearsal. And sure, Eve decides like, yeah, it sounds like final totally no, come watch doesn't. you get fake like married a, oh. <laughs> sounds awful i know it sounds silly but she's there it's like excited for her friend and well, a friend that she hasn't spoken to apparently in how many years because she doesn't even know that she's engaged to a man named jonathan right like like, ten, like 10 years ago but i don't like and she meets everybody later but she doesn't know what he looks like or anything so there's like there's no connection eve does not make any kind of connection so no offense to all of my friends i made in college but if we haven't spoken in 10 years you're not coming to my wedding even the (laughs) rehearsal i'm just putting that out there i'm sorry yeah i don't like apparently hallie's nicer than you are because (laughs) i don't know if he's nicer or just like i don't know more the word is not nice i don't know what the word is i'm looking for here see i don't think it's actually that crazy to invite her to the wedding rehearsal other than that it's like probably a really boring thing to watch it's weird that she later invites her to the wedding because weddings are usually like sit down affairs that have a number of people and like what? yeah I mean, here's what you say. Like, oh, I have a rehearsal to get to. Hey, let's grab a cup of coffee maybe tomorrow morning yes. or whatever. Well, they're about to get married. You're not under sure. some weird obligation <laughs> and I have to be doing all the other stuff. I can actually talk to you instead of like – because it's not they can catch up during the wedding rehearsal because she's going to be doing stuff. I don't – I completely agree with you, Sam. It's a weird thing to be invited to. It's a weird thing to sit through and they have no actual conversation uh, really aside from and this. And they have no real connection except for like – Oh, yeah, I think I remember you from however many years ago. Right. Well, apparently they were good friends in college. And not good enough to stay in touch. Well, no. It was like she was – Eve was the RA at her dorm and they're – like they were just – they were friends in college and now she's – anyway, she's invited to the wedding rehearsal. <laughs> dumb, Danielle. It's dumb. I agree, but it's just trying to like piece these people together. Everything's faded, Sam. Right, of course. I'm like, fate <laughs> made Haley invite her to the wedding rehearsal. Sure. So Sarah bows out because she's invited to just, you know, as like, oh, do you want to come with your friend? And Sarah is like, no, I'm gonna go call my fiance. And so she arrives at her hotel room and her fiance is laying out in the hallway. And he apparently has called every hotel in New York until he found her because apparently they just give the information over the phone in 2001. <laughs> also, did you not tell your fiance like, oh, here's my number. We're all being geeky to get in hot touch with me. Yeah, they kind of like did it on a whim. Like she had no idea where she was going when she got to New York. I skipped over that part because it wasn't really that important. Yeah, so but she you ended call up with a Waldorf. And tell them. Like, I think that's what she was going to do that night. So she's like, I've got to okay. call my fiance. But he shows up because apparently she can't be away for the weekend. <laughs> wow. Okay. I like this guy, but now he's getting kind of creepy, needy vibes. <laughs> and so, well, he apologizes. He's like, I. I'm so wrapped up in this the the tour and the the CD and everything that I'm sorry I've been completely ignoring you. Like you had every right to be mad at me and you know disappear for a while, but apparently not to just have the weekend to yourself. He can disappear for a while, but not longer than I feel comfortable living you out of my sight. <laughs> so I think the point was to show up because he knew that she was actually mad at him, but also like you could have done that on Monday when she came back. Yeah, there's so much more you could have done to fix this. And so Jonathan's at his rehearsal and he's obviously a bit distracted. Hallie invites Eve to the wedding, as I mentioned, and her and Sarah. So not only does she invite her friend, she invites her friend's random friend yeah. to the wedding. Like, I don't, are they, maybe they have a, uh, like, 
buffet, so it doesn't matter how many people are right? here. <laughs> like, also, that's quite a position on your friend because they have to like, I didn't bring wedding clothes to my you know, I, random I mean, weekend I, jaunt to New true. York. I have to go out and go shopping for a nice dress or whatever. Like, what? <laughs> I'm sure people have been invited to weddings on the fly, but yeah. Yeah, no, but it's a crazy position. You're like, oh yeah, odd. here, go go out and buy a dress and come to my wedding tomorrow or whatever. That's 2001. Maybe they had fancy clothes. What? Why are you <laughs> saying it's 2001? Like, that explains any of this, Danielle. <laughs> it's got to explain something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yes. In 2001, everyone traveled with fancy clothes in their suitcases, even on random weekend jaunts. <laughs> Maybe. I remember those know. days. Uh, no man was without his three-piece suit. No woman was without her fanciest dress so she could go out dancing. Maybe they were, yeah, they're in their 30s. Like, maybe they were going to go party so they have nice clothes. You don't know. Um, okay. <laughs> okay, so after Eve leaves, because she's like, okay, so nice to see you. She meets Jonathan, shakes his hand, gets invited to the wedding. She goes. Hallie starts to cry and she tells Jonathan, she's like, I noticed the last few days you've been super weird. I just yeah. like, yeah, and I just want you to like tell me what's going on or like commit to this. I don't want my husband to have cold feet on our wedding day. <laughs> and he's like, Hallie, let me be honest with you. I have been pining over a girl I met for five seconds many years ago. I've been doing everything in my power to track her down so I can dump you. Yeah, he 100% does not say that. He basically is like, no, it's it's finished. Like I, I've come to turn, like, I'm sorry. I was like that. I, you don't deserve that. You're you know, you're better than that. And I'm really setting up poor Hallie for like so much pain. (laughs) So she gives him the groom gift. She like pulls this thing out of her back. Is that a thing? Yeah, apparently. (laughs) Okay. Again, my knowledge of weddings is not great. I think it's a very traditional thing. Okay. The groom gift. Well, does he get a dowry at least? Well, she's supposed to get a gift as well. I think like a bridal gift, groom gift, but he'd forgotten his, of course. Wow. What a a cad. Well, he had like, he was not home. Remember he was running around town trying to find Sarah. Oh, I thought he he forgot to get her one at all. (laughs) No, he got, he got her one. She just said that he forgot it at home. Okay. So she gives him the groom gift and he opens it and he realizes it's a copy of Love in the Time of Cholera. No. Yes. Why did she give him that does she like did he make a mention like you know what i really yeah. want i want to find love in the town of color does she you know, know he's obsessed with that book so he yeah she knows that he always looks for it when he goes into like bookstores and stuff she's like i noticed that you've constantly are like checking that book out but you don't own a copy which i thought was really weird so i was trying to be sweet and give you this if, book if if he had an opportunity to buy that book like a dozen times over never bought it my first thought wouldn't be i should buy that book for him i agree i thought it was a really odd my thought would be get. like he clearly doesn't want that book <laughs> there must be something going on specifically with that book but he hasn't found the one he wants and of course it's the one that sarah wrote her name in so he has her full name and phone number now great yeah so it's bachelor night like it's they're doing their bachelor party and he gets into the car jeremy's in a taxi waiting for him and he like he's shocked yeah I just realized this is 2001, as we've established numerous times. Uh-huh. What is the cell phone situation like in this movie? Because um, if that's a number she gave him like three years ago in 1998. They have cell phones. Like they use them a few times in this movie. I was just thinking like how co- – I mean, again, 1998 was a, another time, another era. <laughs> and I don't know how common cell phones were in 1998. I don't really remember how common they were. I don't think they were like that common. No, they weren't. So her giving him that number, like, does she already have a cell phone? Does she keep that cell phone and never change her number? I don't know the answer to that, but 
She okay. gets into the car with Jeremy's waiting for him, and Jeremy calls the New York Times again to track down the phone number and the name and see if he can get an address. But he has her name. Maybe it's her home phone, Sam. Yeah, that's my point. Then she moved to freaking Seattle or wherever, like across the country. I, I, Sam, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it just ties in, like, because he has a phone number and a name, it can give him some Why kind of background just call the number? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I just realized I don't think they do that. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have the phone number, just call it and find yeah. out what's on the other end of it. It just occurred to me, because, like, Jeremy picks up his phone to call, and I thought he was going to call the number, and I thought it was weird that Jeremy was calling as opposed to Jonathan. And then I realized that Jeremy was talking to the New York Times, and I promptly forgot all of that until you mentioned it. <laughs> It is very weird that he never calls the number. This is this is like the entire MacGuffin for this whole movie is that phone number. No, it totally the it, book is the MacGuffin for sure. It doesn't matter at all because he doesn't use it. <laughs> Dumb. <laughs> Awful, Danielle. It is. And so meanwhile, all this is happening, Sarah and her boyfriend are riding around in a horse carriage, which he stops. He like waves the guy down. He's like, hey, hey, stop. I need to take this phone call. And so he's on his cell phone. She wanders off. She like just gets out of it and ends up over at the ice skating rink. And he joins her after the phone call and he is like, you know, hugging her and he's like, she's like, I'm sorry about everything. And he points out the stars that are in the sky and she realizes he's pointing out Cassiopeia. Uh, I know. It just this movie. <laughs> so Jonathan you can hear that Jeremy, noise a lot from me. I know. It's a bag made this noise in my head several times. So Jonathan and Jeremy fly off to like an overnight flight, basically, to wherever Sarah lives to find what? her at her home. Like they found out her they address just, that she lives how at. How are these people just like on a whim flying across the country, leaving their partners behind? Ugh. Well, he has like money from ESPN, I assume. And the other guy works at New York Times. They have enough money to fly off on a whim. But he's also like, you do realize that if I miss my flight by like 10 minutes, I'm going to be late to my own wedding. <laughs> That's your problem, dude. Just don't go, maybe. I know, but he does go. And when also, they- he just told his fiance it's over. I know, I agree. <laughs> it's terrible. But then he felt like it was fate because she gave him the book. <laughs> I hate these people. I hate them I so much. <laughs> it's awful. And so when they arrive at this house, they actually see two people through the window having sex, but they don't realize it's just Sarah's sister and her partner who are house sitting, which was established earlier. Well, how would they recognize? Oh, yeah, that's Sarah's sister. She described her to me when she looks like naked. Right. So they don't know that. So they think he thinks that he's seeing Sarah and her boyfriend. And so he's like, oh, my gosh, like. Okay, obviously, I'm not meant to be with Sarah. Also, are they just having sex with the windows open? What's going on I, here? It's just one of those, like, country houses, like, set back. It's kind of in the woodsy area. So I think they just don't have blinds or they don't have blinds down. And they're just kind of near a big open window because, you know, movie. Movie. So Sarah now is going home. She's given up trying to find Jonathan. She broke up with her boyfriend. What? And she decided that she realized that she did not want to be with him. Like, it's just too much. She don't see the scene. It's off scene. So it's just okay. established that she broke up with him. And he, he took it okay. I think he's gonna be fine <laughs> yeah because he's a super sexy musician who can defeat vikings which is not and, to love. and was not that invested in like spending a ton of time with her anyways i do think he loved her but like maybe not the best match yeah and so when the flight attendant comes by and asks if she'd like to purchase some headphones and she pulls out her wallet and she realizes it's her, it's her friend's wallet they have really similar wallets it's established earlier in the the film and there's a five dollar bill inside that she pays with she's like fine i'm just gonna use her wallet and as she goes to pay for her headphones she realizes it's the one that Jonathan wrote his name and number on. I knew it. <laughs> I hate it. This is, it's, I'm not even going to say anything. Just move on. I don't want to pretend that never happened. <laughs> 
So she rushes off the plane because I'm going to say it again. This is 2001. Apparently, you can just get off planes. <laughs> Wait. So this is 2001. Is this? I mean, this I is. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't let know. say. Obviously, they they filmed the movie pre 9 11, but yeah. So, also, oof. <laughs> I know. She just runs off the plane, and she it's it's getting later. It's what's well, spring, so maybe before everything. She finds out. We should, I guess she tracks down the number. I don't know where she gets this information. I don't remember if it's in the How movie, to be honest. How the addresses by, by phone numbers? <laughs> I don't know. She finds out where he lives. And, and also, shows, they self... I don't know. Never mind. I'm I done. don't know. So she shows up, and it's her. his neighbors are outside, like, on the front porch. And they're like, oh, dude, she, he's getting married. Like, he's over at the Waldorf getting married. You're, like, it might be happening right now. And she's like, oh, God. And so she, like, rushes to the Waldorf. So her plan is... To break to up their wedding, crash I guess. Wedding. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't think like, oh, he's getting married. Maybe I should just leave him alone. Yeah. But her plan is to go and ruin this. Like, even if like he he's not into her, which is the you know the the thing I would think would be most likely, she's going to make a scene and ruin this guy's wedding. Yeah, that's I don't know. her plan. I think her plan was hopefully to like get to them before the actual ceremony. But yes, her plan was to crash a wedding and stop it the day of. These are the worst, most selfish people <laughs> on the planet. I know it's terrible. So there is an old man there when she gets to the to the ballroom, and he's putting away chairs, and he's like, "Oh, the wedding's over. You missed it." And different she, wedding. Yeah, and she's dev. It's not a different wedding, and she's oh. devastated. And he's like, "Oh, don't worry. You'll get your present back. You asked if it was over, and the truth is, it never began." And so I guess they called it off that morning. When she so finds out, you don't. He see called that. off his own wedding. Yeah, and Hallie's never seen again. <laughs> She gets such short shrift in this movie. I know. I feel so bad for Hallie. <laughs> and she's a really nice person. She, Yeah. No, this is these people. I know we talked at the beginning of the movie about how you said this is like, oh, this movie tries to address it and makes them. No, apparently it doesn't. It just well, dumps Hallie like a it, sack of potatoes. I mean, yes, it definitely does that. But there are like several, com- more than most rom-coms, there are several conversations where they're like trying to balance their feelings for their current partner with the idea that there's a like a bigger thing or whatever that they feel. I'm not, I'm not saying that validates any of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, that makes it worse because they acknowledge the fact that they are hurting their partners, but they just don't care. Yes. Like at okay. least if they don't talk about it all, they say like, oh, you know, the partners are whatever. You can pretend like it doesn't like exist, right? Yeah, exactly. But now they're like, we know this is a terrible thing to do and that our partners are hurting, but eh, we don't care. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> to be fair, I don't think the the band leader guy was overly hurting. Yeah, he's hurting. fine. But <laughs> Hallie, come on. I know. I do feel really bad for Hallie. So this movie's almost over, Sam. You can do it. Power Thankfully, through. Come on. Let's just do this. <laughs> so she's thrilled, obviously, in a terrible way. It's actually kind Oof. of a funny scene, to be fair, because she like starts to like get really happy and starts to cry and he kind of looks over at her and she and she turns her like smile into her frown and she's like oh that's just terrible and she's just like crying and laughing and she like I, mean, I, I bet the actors really do a good job in this <laughs> yeah. movie because they're all great actors I mean I'm sure they're having fun yeah it was kind of a funny scene so I mean it's bad as it is so her friend <laughs> is basically Eve is like you know what you go get them you do you and it's but it's really cold outside so put a jacket on first and this is when she realizes that she left her jacket in the park the previous night when she was there with her boyfriend, -boyfriend. ex-boyfriend. And then it cuts over to the scene with Jeremy and Jonathan. And Jeremy is like 
this must have been why I couldn't I was I had writer's block and this must be why I couldn't write your best man speech. I was having the hardest time with it. And now I know why it's because you weren't meant to be with Hallie or whatever. So uh, he wrote his no. <laughs> so Jeremy says, I wrote your basically your metaphorical obituary. because That's what he does. Uh, death, and his death by his fiance and soulmate. And so there's like this long obituary that he wrote that's kind of like a play on his life. And so you see jo- the best. The reason why I mentioned this is because you see Jonathan reading it and he's walking through all these like city streets of New York. And it just goes on forever. He like walks through all these streets. He walks through a park. He makes it to the he ice skating rink, and he's still he's still reading. It's a fake, like a metaphorical. Yeah, like, death. like oh, I know you just called off your window. And you're feeling really down. Here's your obituary <laughs> to cheer you up. <laughs> It's a very nice little piece about like I'm love sure like a bitch is very kind and everything, but also like you're missing frame the point. It better, dude, <laughs> frame it better. <laughs> It's just, it's a funny scene because he reads this letter, which is only a page long, and it goes on for like eight blocks. Yeesh. And he then, for reasons unknown, he gets to the ice skating rink. He sits down at a bench. He, of course, finds Sarah's jacket tucked into the bench corner. He grabs it. He doesn't realize it's hers. He takes it and he walks skateless. He doesn't put on skates. He just like walks into the middle of the ice skating rink and lies down. Is there down. no one there? Is no, it there's closed? people. They're just like, it's not a lot of people. It's spring. So it's like later in the season, there's little like water puddles on the ice skating rink. And he he's like laying down in the middle of the rink. And everybody's just skating in circles around him. <laughs> Aren't there like tickets you have to buy? I don't know the answer. I don't know if it's a public rink. You never see them buy tickets. He just walks onto the rink. Nobody stops him. So probably not. And Fair enough. As this, there's snow starts, of course, and it's like coming down on me. You see the view of him looking up through the snow. So you see the snow and he has like the black glove in his hand. He's like holding onto it. And he puts it down on the ice. And then as the snow starts, another black glove like floats down and lands on his chest. And he gets, uh... yeah, no, and he gets up and he realizes that Sarah's there. And the end of the film is they apparently, it's like the future, they go to Bloomingdale's every year for their anniversary and Eugene Levy's there and he's like, okay, store's closing, you gotta leave, get out of here. And they live happily ever after. The end. Two awful people rewarded <laughs> with happiness after ruining the lives of their partners. <laughs> Oh, man. That's such a fate-driven movie. And did they ever talk about fate again? No, like, like, no, I mean, other than the conversations that the friends have where they're like, are, are you sure this is a real thing? Because this does not seem real. Wow. That was a movie, Danielle. <laughs> it's a movie. Man. I don't think, I mean, I, I get that rom-coms generally have people who aren't that likable as protagonists in them when you think about it for, as any, like, real context for, like, 10 minutes, you know what I mean? Yes. And that's fine. That's the conceit. I accept that. But these seem worse than your average rom-com people, you know what I mean? Arguably. I'm sure we have some some listeners out there who really like this movie, which is, you know, valid. It's decent. I don't know if it's a bad movie or not, because <laughs> like, I haven't seen it. It sounds like it's fun and weird, and it could be like a great group watch, but I just really think that the protagonist, like the most selfish, conceited, self-involved people. I do feel really bad for their partners, more than I feel bad for most people's partners in romantic comedies. Like in... I've, you've got male or whatever when they leave their partner. At least their partners are shown to be like incompatible right. or kind of selfish. Like they they're not really happy in their relationships, which is Here. definitely the case for for Sarah in this. I think yes. her and her partner are incompatible. But I agree. Hallie is not 
like they're they seem more or less fine the few interactions you get with them they're happy but enough. also the decisions they make to like oh i'm gonna go crash a wedding because that's the thing <laughs> that is the the, the re- like that is such a selfish decision to make yeah well she didn't really crash it because it didn't happen well, we anyway know, she didn't know that before <laughs> she went off to do it i agree it's like a forced timeline like she had to do it right that second because there's a wedding and we know that once weddings happen like nobody can ever change partners i'll even give the movie the magical thing that all the books and dollar bills and everything come back to them fine so many things are faded (laughs) by like the 20th thing i was like oh my gosh (laughs) so here's the question i have danielle do you think the movie is positing sarah's original viewpoint that humans or people are all faded to do whatever they need to do and there's no agency I don't know. So that was one of the things that like left me with a lot of questions at the end of this movie. And I was going to ask you about that as well. Is like, <laughs> what? What? Like, is she is is everything faded? Is that what they're trying to say? Or are they just... That seems to be the conclusion <laughs> of the movie is that like fate is real and you don't have to be responsible for any of your choices. And so, yeah, if you rob a you know store, that's not your fault. That's just fate guiding you towards your robbery or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I would agree. Like, I, I that that was my takeaway. Was like, oh, everything's faded, so apparently they have no agency, and it doesn't matter what decisions. I mean, she tried they to make. get out in the very beginning with the thing about like, oh, fate is just giving you clues about whether you're happy or not. But like, that's not that made no sense. But then that's arguing that if you followed all of those clues, like if you somehow You'd managed to figure out, yeah, you would be like perfect happiness in which case fate knows the most direct path to happiness and therefore if you follow those clues you have no agency so what that is saying then is everyone who is unhappy or is poor or struggling it's their own fault for not following for fate's not clues. following fate's clues <laughs> like that sounds very like late stage capitalism <laughs> like no everyone who is lower class is their own fault for not pulling themselves up by their bootstraps yeah, which is a phrase questions. that means doing something impossible so <laughs> and very serious questions about this film when it ended yeah, no. i was like what what is this positing and why <laughs> i'm sure the actors are really fun i'm sure there's a lot of fun things in this movie but if you think about the moral core of this movie for more than like 10 seconds it's really awful <laughs> It sounds yeah. like it's either stipulating that we have no agency or that everyone who doesn't manage to uncover fate's nebulous, <laughs> inscrutable clues is deserving of their suffering. Right. Which is basically Jeremy Piven and like part of this movie is just like, how are you supposed to decipher these clues? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. It sounds like a lot of fun. But it also sounds like something that I think it'd be a lot of fun to like show this movie at like a film club type thing, like a or a philosophy club be like, <laughs> talk about how bad this movie gets the philosophy i think it'll be a lot of fun (laughs) yeah it was quite the movie it's definitely like a 2 a.m movie or just like a on cable with commercials movie i think that's how i've seen it a few times it's probably like my fourth time that i'd watched it just i know i've said that this movie is terrible a lot but i mean that in the sense of like its (laughs) message is terrible i'm sure like i have no comment on whether or not it's a fun movie to watch or that it's like good to watch it but even things that have terrible messages are worth watching as examples of terrible messages i'm sure our listeners have some views on fate as well does it exist what's the what's the deal y'all <laughs> if the listeners can explain sarah's views on fate and what that sentence meant when she talked about like the clues of happiness maybe that'll change my mind to all of this maybe you can enlighten me to how this movie has a different perspective that i'm just misunderstanding yeah that would be helpful though shout out yeah <laughs> and if you have any information please let me know you can find us at bookretorts.com or you can tweet at us facebook instagram us at book retorts and until we figure that out i guess we're fading
created to call this episode over. So, bye! (laughs) Take care, everybody. It's fun to watch somebody suffer. Like, hey, smell this, you know? Like, oh, it smells terrible. You smell it now. Like, we have the instinct to share those awful things with people. I love people. when people do that. I think it's hysterical. Right. <laughs> oh, my God, this smells so bad. Smell it. And you're like, no. But you're also kind of like, oh, yeah, let me just, oh, wait. Yeah, like 50% of the time you actually do it. And then you're like, why did I do that? <laughs> right. It's because people love to share experiences, <laughs> good or bad. It's, the, it's human nature. So I think that's like what this episode is. This episode is you sharing a stinky jar of rotten mayonnaise with me. <laughs> And asking me to smell I like it. that you got so annoyed with it so quickly because I got annoyed with it like 40 minutes in. That's how long it took for me. And like, I was like, oh, no, Sam's never going to last that long. <laughs> I, I was immediately, I immediately I hated immediately. this. It was like I thought five you'd at least in. make it into like, I don't know, maybe right before the elevator scene. <laughs>